0: We have the highest caliber leadership. We've got CEO caliber leadership in these individual restaurants. And that opens the whole playbook. And, and you, can, you can do things. You know, we still prepare a lot of our products by hand in those restaurants. And, and well, how is that possible? Well, it's the caliber of leader who attracts the people, because you mentioned earlier about the importance of great people. I'm with you. I'll sing that song. But great people without great leadership is a waste. Mm. And you can have great people, but they have to be well led. And so I I go back to uh, I still think it's our competitive advantage. And uh, that enables a lot of really, really good uh, outcomes. hey everybody
1: and welcome to the slow smoke business podcast i'm your host jared morgan today joined by mark miller 45 year veteran of chick-fil-a of course we all know and love chick-fil-a not just for their chicken but for how well they are run as an organization and how successful they are and also he's an author of the book culture rules welcome mark yeah it's great to be with you well it's great to have you here now it's always a little nerve-wracking for me Uh, When someone has, especially like you, who has spent over four decades kicking out some of the most respected, uh, you know, working for an organization that kicks out some of the most respected culinary stuff
0: in the country. And now I'm going to cook in your presence. Don't worry about it. I worked in the restaurant a long, long time ago, and I was awful in the restaurant. So uh, you have nothing to fear here. You know, at first I thought I probably missed an opportunity to cook chicken
1: here, but I, maybe I saved myself, quite frankly, because, yeah. you know, there's no there's no doing chicken in the presence of somebody who's so great. So let's show um, let's show what we're doing today. I'm going to do something actually pretty quick this time, which is some hanger steak, uh, I do, which I looked. I've never actually done this on the show. If you're following along on Facebook or on YouTube, you can uh, you can check that out. We've got some hanger steak. I uh, marinated them for not very long, um, maybe about thirty minutes in coconut aminos. If you're familiar with that, um, hashtag not a sponsor. Coconut aminos. And do you ever grill out, Mark?
0: Uh, from time to time.
1: Yeah. What is your What's your go to thing if you're putting something on the grill?
0: Yeah, we usually we're we're pretty simple. Uh, burgers is is my go to. Okay. Sometimes we'll get yeah, crazy and we'll do bison burgers, but bur- burgers is, is what I cook on the grill.
1: I'm going to hit these with a very simple seasoning here. This is a uh, a brisket rub and just a little bit um, trying to keep it really simple. It's nice and peppery and salty, and we're going to let that go. It's not going to be on there that long, which means this episode, you guys are going to get to watch me eat, for better or worse. <laughs> um, well, that will be fun. So, Mark. Yes. I want to talk about... You know, where to start, actually, because Chick-fil-A is such an incredible organization. You've been uh, involved for a long, long time. In your mind, what makes Chick-fil-A so different than the other organizations in its space?
0: Well, there's there's probably a lot, but I would say our primary distinctive are the operators, the men and women that run the local restaurants. I think they're our competitive advantage. Now, we've got great uh, food. We've got great locations. We've got great team members. Oh, I would say those team members are a reflection of that operator because those team members work for that local operator. And I think it was actually part of Truett's genius. I mean, he, he, was, he was a really smart guy and he figured out a lot of things. He invented the chicken sandwich, you know, him yep. props for that. But the business model, here, here's the way he thought about it. He said, you need two things for a successful business. Now, he's he's articulating this. This was 55 years ago when he kind of had this insight. He said, you need two things for a successful business. You need capital and management. He said, but the problem is if you look for those in the same person, your pool becomes very small. He said, so if we provide the capital, the 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 number of men and women who have the talent and the desire to to run the business that's that's huge so from the very beginning we put up the cash and these independent operators provide the leadership and so the way that has played out over the years and i would argue it played out that this way early on but but today specifically when our operators are running multi-million dollar businesses um You know, I talked to an operator last week who has a couple of locations, and he's going to do thirty million dollars this year. Oh my god! And how many locations does he have? I think he's got two locations. (laughs) Wow! Uh, Now he also does some food service on a college campus, so I guess it's two, two and a half, two and a quarter locations. But the point being is, we are able the the operators are able to do these huge volumes because of the caliber of their leadership, Mm -hmm. and so. They, they in fact, attract great people, and then those people are well-led, and the sky's the limit at that point. So its Insight, and again, I still believe our competitive advantage is that local restaurant operator.
1: Yeah. So every great business is about its people, right? I've, I've said that, I don't know how many times on this show, like, but the people was really the success. If anybody, you know, with, with my story, people were like, you know, what was your secret to success? It was attracting and motivating great people to want to work with you. Right. Because mm-hmm. if you're able to do that, man, you just, the problems, they don't get easier. But, um, if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? Is what I've always said. And so you, you want to make sure that, uh, you focus on that. But what's so different, I think with Chick-fil-A for me, at least, is that you the, the battles that you guys fight, at least at least I'd say in the last 20 years, um, the business battles that you're fighting are so public. And so a, an example of that is uh, it's gotten so popular that we've had to watch. So I'm here in Hoover, Alabama. We've had to watch our local Chick-fil-A's have to reinvent the drive through experience. Right. A, vi- a true victim of their own success, because there are so many people trying to pile through that place in a in a in a square footage that was not invented for that. And so, you know, talk about how that organization tackles challenges like that that are just even though they're even though they're coming from, you know, a place of success, like there's so many people wanting to buy lunch from you guys that you have to reinvent that. But it still makes people angry when you get it wrong. So what is the process like? How do you attack a, a problem that's so emotional, but so vital to get right.
0: Okay. There's a lot in that question. So let me take okay. it and, and look at it from a couple of different angles really quick here. Uh, first, I go back to my opening comment. Our competitive advantage is that local operator. We have some world-class leaders in these individual locations. So, so they play their role and then we do what we can do corporately. I mean, there are things that, that they can't do. And so we'll invest in technology or equipment, uh, research and development, those things that, again, are appropriate for us to do as as the parent company. And then they're innovating, they're reinventing at at the street level, right? At the point of sale. And then we partner with them to solve those types of challenges. Because we believe that the reward you get for solving a problem is a bigger problem. And so (laughs) leaders have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That's a that's a great line. Like, I just don't want that to flow by that fast. Like you (laughs) say that one more time. Well, the problem you get for solving a problem is a bigger problem. Yes. If you can't solve today's problems, you're not going to have bigger problems. Amen to that. And so, uh, we, we are aware we're constantly doing things to, to try and serve the operators. We're also trying to do things, um, We don't want to do things that will impede their success and effectiveness. I give you an example is milkshakes. Um, Goodness gracious. I would say we had some restaurants selling milkshakes probably three or four years before we went chain wide with milkshakes because we kept saying we got to take another 10 seconds, another 20 seconds, another 30 seconds off of the prep time, because even though people love the milkshakes from day one, it took too long to make them. Which would have thrown a wrench into the whole thing those drive through lines they they would be even longer than they are today if people would give us the time to get in the lines, and so we worked for several years corporately trying to shave the time down so that we didn't unintentionally make their lives harder and make and make the business more complex
1: yeah, I think that's a that's an easy trap to fall into as a business right you you try to go. And like from the outside, uh, you know, people are like, why don't you, what's the deal? Why can't we all have milkshakes? I know there's this one, I've heard on the internet that there's this one Chick-fil-A that has the peach milkshake and I want it. But it comes down to exactly that. When you are a business that is doing the scale, and we're not even talking about like the global scale, but the scale of each individual location. Yeah. Scale is a thing that is hard to understand until you've truly had to manage it as a business before.
0: Well, sure. And there's one more piece, and that is the fact we are a brand. And so people's expectations are the same. That you, you you do yourself more harm than good if mm-hmm. you said, Well, this restaurant will have milkshakes and this restaurant won't, or this restaurant will offer you know these uh menu items and and not over here. People expect consistency from a brand. So we've got both issues. One, the scale at the local restaurant and the uh, customer's expectation of brand continuity.
1: So I promised myself I was going to ask this question and you don't have to answer it because you're not speaking for Chick-fil-A here. But I feel like what you just said indicates a little bit um, as to why uh, why we don't have chicken and waffles at chick-fil-a like chick-fil-a has the goat the greatest of all time uh fast breakfast out there it's it wiped everybody off it reset the game when chick-fil-a came out with with every because remember originally people were like chicken for breakfast and now it is the thing that everybody defaults to when they want a breakfast on a saturday morning right and it feels like it's right there you've got incredible chicken you're already making and a, just a simple waffle. What, what if, is there, has that ever been discussed before? I feel like it has. Is that a, what's the, what's the story there?
0: Yeah. Um, it's been discussed and it's been tested and piloted and prototypes have been created and we have not yet cracked the code. Uh, customers expect the food that Chick-fil-A serves to meet a certain standard. And we, and we love that. And we appreciate that. And we've spent decades trying to establish that standard in the heart and mind of our customers. And until we can do it exceptionally well, yeah, you're not going to see chicken and waffles.
1: That's, that's so interesting to me. And I figured, I actually figured that's what your answer was going to be. And that's why I asked it right after you talked about (laughs) scale and the milkshakes thing, because I'm, I'm sure. If we walked in and and asked you to create a plate of a Chick-fil-A chicken breast and waffles one time, you could nail it and it would be awesome and we'd all be high fiving. But yeah. to again, going back to scale, how do you scale that across all of your locations, doing it right. consistently in a way that people expect? Right.
0: Because keep in mind, and and I won't quote specific numbers because I'm I'm not current as of this moment, but our restaurants on average are doing six to eight times the industry average. And then we have the outliers. A so $30 million in two restaurants is is a bit of an outlier. So it's that level of scale. It's, it's, it's yeah, 10 or 15 times some of the fast food restaurants that you're going to drive by today. That's the volume we're doing. And then, of course, when you look at it across the chain, we'll exceed $20 billion in sales this year. And so wow. uh, scale is a daily reality. Uh, for for the operator and for us corporately, things are done
1: differently at Chick Fil A, and that's what I want to talk about. As I'm going to check the, ch- I'm going to check my, check, I almost said check the chicken, check the
0: check um, check the check, the, check meat. the
1: hanger steak. Right, I tried to, I, maybe I should have just hit it a little faster, but I tried to slow it down just because I wanted to get a little smoke over it, but I don't want it to get that done. So it probably needs about two minutes, and then we're done. Um, Chick Fil A does things differently, right? And do you think? Is that a is this is a chicken of the egg question, right? Does Chick Fil A do things differently because it's so successful, or is it so successful because it does things differently?
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I think it goes back to Truitt and and his his genius. We have the highest caliber leadership. We've got CEO caliber leadership in these individual restaurants and that opens the whole playbook and and you can you can do things you know we still prepare a lot of our products by hand in those restaurants and and well how's that possible well it it's the caliber of leader who attracts the people because you mentioned earlier about the importance of great people I'm with you. I'll sing that song. But great people without great leadership is a waste. Mm. And you can have great people, but they have to be well led. And so I go back to uh, I still think it's our competitive advantage. And uh, that enables a lot of really, really good uh, outcomes. But so every episode we have here, we have a clip that
1: starts off uh the show before to get people interested as it come that's probably the clip right there because that was so good. Great people without great leaders can't do what you want them to do. The Kathy, so you mentioned Truett and for those that aren't familiar um with Chick-fil-A, Truett Kathy was the founder, uh ran the dwarf house for a long time, started experimenting with chicken, turned it into Chick-fil-A, pioneered kind of the 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 mall uh food approach um took that by storm i remember being a kid and going to the mall specifically to get a chicken sandwich and a lemonade right because that was only the only place you could get them right and then you know eventually branched out into uh you know actual single locations and Mm -hmm. um and now dominates that space the kathy family obviously Truett passed away um a a few years back and now dan kathy and and everybody's in charge Let's talk about that leadership style because I've read Truett Cathy's books. Um, I quote him a lot. One of his one of my favorite sayings of Truett Cathy is I'd rather uh, restrain mustangs and kick mules, which I talk about that all the time when I'm hiring. And it, I think if you think about him saying that in the early days and how you're talking about how you have CEO level people in your individual locations. I think that still sort of permeates who you guys are. But if you could sum up Cathy leadership, right, whether it's Truett or Dan, how would you describe that?
0: I think they actually embody our leadership point of view as an organization. Now, they were doing this before we codified our point of view. So I want to be really clear, and we didn't say, "Hey, what do Truett and Dan do?" We we went to work to say, "What what are the fundamentals that great leaders?" have demonstrated throughout history and we believe they will demonstrate into the future. And we did a lot of work on that. This is about 25 years ago. And then lo and behold, when we when we we finally reached our conclusions, it's like, oh yeah, that that's what truett does. And so the picture of leadership is an iceberg. And I don't know if if you remember fifth grade, I don't, but they tell (laughs) me in fifth grade we studied icebergs. And that about 10% above the waterline represents the skills of the leader and the 90% below the waterline represents their heart or their character wow. and so uh, truitt has has demonstrated skills and the integrity of heart that such that people want to follow him and so i think i think that's that's our point of view on leadership do you uh, Do you, do you
1: train leadership to the leaders in your organization or do you try to, I guess you probably, you certainly go pick people that match your, your culture, but do you guys have specific leadership
0: training? We do have leadership training. We, let me, let me put an asterisk on that. Um, the operators are independent business leaders. So management and leadership practices are at the sole discretion of that independent operator, but they are well aware of our point of view. And we've created resources that they can use or not use, but to your earlier point, we're trying to select people who can be successful in our context and so there is a um an affinity for leadership comprised of skills and heart that that's resident in in each individual operator. Now, how they play that out we, we give them huge discretion. I mean again, they're our competitive advantage we selected them fundamentally for their leadership. And so you'll see different uh, permutations and different manifestations of that. But uh, we we do provide some initial, we call it the fundamentals of restaurant leadership. And we spend four to six weeks with those new uh, recruits. And then we encourage them and we have uh, other things that uh, unify us. We get together every year with all the operators, their spouses, all the staff and their spouses. We had over 9,000 folks at our meeting in February. We'll have over 10,000 at this next meeting. And and we talk about these things. And uh, again, the operators have full discretion for the way they lead their individual restaurant. But uh, we, we do have some influence there. You only can do that
1: if you pick great people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot run an organization like you guys run without great people and, and also give them autonomy. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's just so interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and pull the, the, yeah. the beef off here while we're talking, but I want to ask you about uh, let's call it play in the long game. Okay. All right. Um, Chick-fil-A to me is the master of playing the long game. So uh, if you look at you guys versus any other, you know, restaurant expansion chain that's sort of gone out there. And I don't know if chain's the right word or if that's an offensive term. And if it is, forgive me. But the um, there's so many chances that other restaurants come across, other, other organizations come across that you guys have to get, just get a pop of growth, right? And so open on Sundays, right? Um, or, uh, or just pick anybody to run your restaurant and just make sure you get more locations, more locations, more locations, and you'd get like a quick sugar high of growth from that. But there's very specific reasons that Chick-fil-A has been very public about why you don't, you guys refuse to do those things. Is that maybe somebody doesn't discuss it that way in your organization, but to me, those are like playing the long game decisions because yeah. If you guys opened on Sundays next month, there would be a huge surge of Sunday sales that would you guys go, wow. But then all these other things that you guys have stood for, for all these years and all these like cultural things and all of that stuff would start to shake and smoke a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So is that something you guys discuss internally about thinking long-term or is that just because you guys have resolute standards and you never... You never break them. Or how how do you think about those long range decisions like
0: that? Okay. Well, I heard, I heard a lot there. So, um, I would say that we have a bias that the best decisions are always made with a long-term perspective Um, as a principle, as a rule. Like the best decisions are always made with a long term perspective. Yes, you certainly have to think about the near term consequences, but but we think there's there's some uh, judgment required to think and then what and then what and then what and and we we ask a question often: What do we want to be true in a decade that's not true today? And I, by the way, think that's a fantastic question. I have a bias because it's one of my favorite because I think it's true for your family, for your health. For your, for your fitness, for your finances, for your career, it's like if you can maintain that perspective, a lot of the, the decisions that you need to make to, to make that a reality become much clearer. And so I'll start with the bias. The best decisions are always made with the long term. Uh, perspective. Now we have the luxury of that. I know many of your listeners do not because they're publicly traded and they're trying sure. to hit some ninety-day numbers. So all of a sudden they're going, "Well, we can't. We have to make a you know short-term decision." Um, I, I feel, I feel for you. I, I actually, <laughs> I don't know how. I mean, that I, I I've never had to lead like that. Yeah. To me, that would be such a paradigm shift. I think it might in fact be why so many organizations are overmanaged and underled. Hmm. is because they've narrowed the time perspective so much that their, 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 their worldview and their perspective has been distorted by an arbitrary time horizon. And the bigger, the more organization, the more complex the organization, significant, sustainable change, I would argue is, in many many cases, impossible in a ninety day window. For sure. Well, and, I, I mean, you say ninety day window, but I mean,
1: in today's world, CNBC, I mean, they're they're picking winners and losers every day, right? You know, right? And I so, just meant I quarterly mean, I, earnings.
0: I mean, quarterly, quarterly earnings for that, sure. But I mean, you're sure. looking
1: at things yeah. going on a daily basis, and yeah. I, I, you yeah. said something there I thought was really interesting. what do you mean
0: by over managed and under led? Well, I think managers tend to think about control. They tend to think about today. They tend to think about maintain. And leaders, leaders are thinking about growth. Leaders are thinking about progress. Leaders are thinking about not uh, controlling but releasing. And um, leaders t- tend. The best leaders treat people as individuals. Managers want to treat everybody the same. Here's the rule. Here's the policy. Well, that's not how you lead people. That's not how you lead them well. And so I think some of that could could be driven by these these time constraints. So I don't actually know how to lead under those circumstances. I feel very fortunate that I've not had to do that. Now, for your listeners, you may, well, why didn't you have to do that for all these decades? Well, because we're a privately held yes. organization. And so we literally are. Uh, and and are in the process of creating a multi generational business because Truett founded it. Dan, you mentioned earlier, his son was the CEO. Dan has now stepped down, and his oldest son Andrew is the CEO. And so, and and he's already talking about the next generation. And so, when you've got a generational view, you just you just see the world differently. Yeah, I think. It It is. And, and when you when you when you stop thinking, like you said,
1: 24 hour, 90 day cycles and you start thinking generational cycles. Yeah, you really do. Again, for those that don't know this, we've got our, one of our producers is from the UK, so she's not super up to what's going on. But Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays and literally every other restaurant chain that's out there is. Right. And it's so counterintuitive except when you think that it, they sell more in six days that that frankly could sell more in four days than everybody else sells in seven. Right. And the people are happier and it just doesn't seem to hurt the organization at all. Um, but it could, um, it's one of those things where there's, you study successful organizations and the most successful organizations have core beliefs about who they are and how they're going to operate and how they're going to treat their people and their customers and the ones that are generationally successful you know they never sort of change that there's the, there's the good to great book by jim collins a great business book and he talks about that that, that the greatest organizations that remain successful over long periods of times they have beliefs that never change Right. And they they will change with the times on some things, but there are some things that they uh, sort of, you know, never do. Right. They talked a lot about Southwest Airlines, how for decades they only flew one plane. Right. Everybody else is flying like a 100 different planes. Southwest fly one plane. Why? Because they got really good at the maintenance and they just it was it it was an efficiency thing. And uh, I think. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Simplicity is hard, right? It's hard to stay simple. It's hard to stick to these guns because you see everybody's showing you a chart that shows growth. If you make a different decision. Um, but those are short range things, right? And it's hard to, it's hard not to, to fall into that. So I, if I asked you what, what Chick-fil-A, you know, you've been around a long time. What do you think Chick-fil-A is the most proud of? over the last 40 years? If you were to ask somebody in that organization, what are they the most proud of? What What do you think the answer would be? Or maybe I asked you to answer it for yourself. What are you the most yeah. proud of that Chick-fil-A has done in the last 40 years?
0: I, I'm i proud. I'm thankful that we have had an opportunity to impact so many lives. Uh, and, that, and start at, at any, wherever you want to start. Let's start with the communities that our operators serve their team members. This year I would anticipate that we'll have over 400,000 team members wow. that will work for those operators and you do the math on that over the years. Of course it always hasn't it, it's been a smaller number in the past it continues to grow, but millions and millions of team members. So you've got communities, you've got team members, you've got customers that say we've actually made a difference in their lives and then the charities that we've been able to support over the years. Um yeah I, I would be most thankful for the good that we've been able to do in the world. What do you think other organizations can learn from Chick-fil-A? Well, let me let me quickly say uh and again as a former Chick-fil-A member, I don't know if you mentioned this but I just retired. I don't know if we even Hey, wait about a that. second. No, wait did a you minute. Not know I did that. I just I didn't, retired. No, I when how yeah, long ago? It's crazy. Just a just a couple of months back. And they called it an early retirement, which I thought was kind of weird because I've been there 44 and a half years. Is that, how long do you have to stay years? to get a full retirement? <laughs> but uh, as an officer <laughs> well, in the company the Well, thank way. you. But as an officer in the company, I had a mandatory retirement date in the future. And since I went early, I got an early retirement. So I see. So I want to uh, offer that as as a caveat. But I'll speak for my time at the table. As, as you ask what others can learn from us, we have not got it figured out. Now, maybe, maybe that's what some other people could learn. Uh, we, I've spent the last 25 years of my life specifically trying to benchmark best practices from organizations all over the world. Because we want to get better. Um, and we've studied teams, we've studied execution, we've studied engagement. We've done 12 of these projects over 25 years. The most recent you mentioned earlier was, uh, culture. We said, we want to strengthen our culture. And so maybe, um, I think it clearly has contributed to our success. I don't know if other people could learn from that or not but we have not figured it out. We, we need to improve virtually every facet of our business needs to be better. Uh, and so that is the mission that we're on. We, we want to be better. And uh, that, that drives us. I think, so
1: speaking as an entrepreneur myself, I've spent a lot of time reading about Chick-fil-A with admiration and, trying to learn from the successes and the ways that you guys overcame struggles and things through the years and um what you just said there i think to me is a a big takeaway that i haven't had on the show in a while which is you said chick-fil-a hasn't got it figured out now when you say that out loud it makes sense but it's important i think for everybody to hear that that as, as somebody else who's trying to build an organization or anybody else that's trying to build an organization, you look at some organizations and think, well, if anybody's got it figured out, <laughs> it's probably those guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so to hear you verbalize, no, nah, we don't have it figured out, sort of drives home the point that you never figure it out you just make progress, right? right? And then as soon as you get close to the answer, the question changes. And you talk about, you said it earlier, right? The rewards you get for solving problems is bigger problems. And right. so in that sense, when you're on that hamster wheel, it probably feels like you never figure it out. And I think that's a—I think that's an important takeaway for people that are banging their head against the wall. Um, even like I am, as I'm building some organizations, I'm banging my head against the wall. Like, why can't this thing just, work like we, but that's the way it always is. Right. And it's the, in those moments where you sort of figure out how to make a little bit of margin, a little bit of progress, and those things stack up into bigger and better organizations.
0: Because as you said, as, as you progress, the questions are going to change. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you'll start trying to apply yesterday's answers to today's questions. And I'll just throw out a little anecdote for any history buffs that are listening. Arnold Toynbee did a study of the rise and fall of 21 civilizations. So get your head around that. Okay. And he was trying to figure out what happened and was there anything in common in those 21 civilizations. And one of the things he discovered that was a sign of the demise was when leaders began to apply yesterday's answers to today's questions. Whoa. The same is true in organizations. And so that's why you can't stop because the questions are changing. And if you don't understand that the questions are changing, you will have the wrong answers.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, By the way, I've been sitting here smelling this hanger steak. Yeah, I was going to say, how's Uh, that? I was going to ask you how
0: that how that steak is.
1: I hadn't got into it yet, so let's give it a try. I should
0: have come to your place for this recording. Oh my god,
1: that's actually really good. So the coconut aminos on that. Hello. All
0: right. So what's
1: your um? While I'm chewing, what is your favorite thing on the Chick fil A
0: menu? Wow. Um. Yeah, I like I like a lot of it, but I'm I'm probably gonna go back to the Nuggets. I'm I've liked the oh, Nuggets wow. for a long time. I'm I'm I love the Nuggets.
1: Nuggets are um Nuggets are it's probably the the it's probably the crunchiest Nugget out there, right? Mm-hmm. Naturally crunchy, not fake mm-hmm. crunchy, but like yeah, naturally crunchy. Tell me about this pimento cheese sandwich thing i don't know you
0: just retired a few months ago so i don't know how plugged in oh I know. I know i know about it and uh i was i i got a, a taste test early on that i used to be on the um what did we call that not the menu i was on the menu strategy team for a while and other that sounds like a job that, does it, that, that it doesn't that doesn't stink right you'd it be on the great. menu it was great the menu yeah. team. Um, yeah, I love that sandwich. Uh and the early reports have been very very positive on that sandwich. Yeah. It seems
1: that. like a departure for you guys though, right? Like it it just feels like it yeah. feels like it's a little out there. Not I don't departure is probably not the right word. It just feels like everything Chick-fil-A does is very repeatable and it just feels like a big old dollop of the minnow cheese. <laughs> how did you guys figure out how well, to control that, that aspect that's, of things? That's right?
0: repeatable. Uh, you can put that <laughs> on all as many sandwiches as you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say this about that. Uh, I'm, I have even in recent years not been on the menu strategy team, but I've been plugged into some of those decisions, and uh, we continue to listen to the customers. I mean, yeah, it'd be real simple if people just wanted the traditional sandwich, and that's all they wanted, and they wanted it forever. Uh-huh. Uh, we're work and, and we think we will keep it forever and there, there is a place for it, but, but we want the menu to remain relevant. And so mm-hmm. we listen to customers, we test hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of menu items a year, uh, trying to figure out what we need to do to be, to maintain relevance. In the minds of the customer and then that leads us to try things like this sandwich and we pilot and we test and you know we do other things before we go chain wide one is to be sure that we can operationally pull it off back to the milkshake example even if it's a great product if we can't pull it off that that's going to be counterproductive so for sure uh, trying to maintain relevance yeah by the way what happened with the breakfast bagel like that the bagel breakfast
1: sandwich was my all-time go-to. I ordered probably 400 of those, and I shouldn't say that. My doctor listens to this, but like I ordered a lot of those and loved that sandwich. And then it and then it's as they you guys yeah. are revamping the breakfast stuff it it went away.
0: Yeah, I don't have specific knowledge on that, but my hunch would be a lot of your friends didn't order 400. Of them. <laughs> so that would be, that would be my first hunch. They're and, like, this Morgan guy in Alabama is keeping <laughs> us afloat with And secondly, we're trying to manage overall complexity. We've actually yeah. got goals to take complexity out of the restaurant because that's, that's really one of the few levers we have as, as volumes continue to grow because the footprint's not going to get any bigger. The restaurant's have a yeah. fixed square footage. And so we've actually, I don't know that it was true in this particular case, but we've made menu deletions because it reduces complexity and or we've got another product that we would like to bring in that we think customers would appreciate yep. even more. So we have to make those trade-offs all the time just that makes because sense. Of I mean, physical it, constraints.
1: As a hungry guy, I want it, but as I like, put my business hat on, I'm like, well, that is the only thing on the menu with a, with a bagel, right? And so <laughs> if it's not selling, that's a lot of complexity for kind of one, one item, right? Yeah. yeah
0: or if sense. you want to bring in the pimento cheese, if you want to do that instead, it's like which of these is actually going to serve a larger number of our guests. You make some of those kind of trade-offs as well.
1: I've heard more people talk about the pimento cheese thing than probably ever talked about the bagel, but like, I'm too big. <laughs>
0: I think what I'm going to do
1: is just start getting my own bagels. Okay. Just deconstructing a Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwich and reassembling a bagel. Yeah. We'll
0: bring your own bagel. Yeah. You can bring start that. Bagel. You can start yeah, that I, trend.
1: I'll do that movement. The movement starts here. Uh, Mark, this was such a great, uh, this is such a great conversation. And I, If it didn't come out in this conversation, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and your career and the organization that you serve for so long. And so thank you for sharing some of your wisdom with us today. I wish you were here having some of this steak with me. Um, But maybe at some point we can get together and you can teach me a little about chicken and I'll show you how I can bumble through a steak.
0: I'll look forward to that.
1: So the book is uh, Culture Rules.
0: And where can they find that? Uh, Anywhere you buy books. Um, Amazon wherever you buy books you can you can get culture rules Culture rules by
1: Mark Miller uh, and he's schooling us about anything and everything we can learn from chick-fil-a and company culture. Thank you Mark for being here my pleasure. He nailed it. Look at that. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you follow us, uh, like us on social media. If you got something valuable out of this episode, please share it with a friend. I'm sure Mark would appreciate that. Go check out his book and we'll see you next time on Slow Smoke Business.